we're seeing as a market as a whole is what's old is new again. Things like density. If you want to be in retail, typically you need to have density, which would be like how many people are purchasing your product inside of Vancouver or BC, for instance. As we get more density and more people know the brand, know the product, there's more likely to have referrals by like social proof. Because, oh, you're using True Earth too, don't you love it? Like it's just, or like people talking about it at parties and like two people at the party know about it and then they start talking about it and then one gets out some strips and gives it to the other people. Like building that density, if you only have one person in a state that knows about your product, the ability for that referral system, you don't get that compounding effect because they tell one or two people and then it, and then it dies. D2C marketers, let's get real. How many hours have you wasted searching for brand influencers only to come up empty-handed? It's time to stop spending time searching, scrolling, and haggling with influencers and start using creator marketing with Hashtag Paid. With Hashtag Paid, you can find your perfect creator match for your brand in less than 10 minutes every time. Getting started is easy. Just select your audience, campaign objectives, pick from a short list of creators, and hit run. It's just that easy. There's a reason why Hashtag Paid is the number one rated influencer marketing platform for D2C brands. As a D2C listener, you can even get credits for your first campaign. Just go to go.hashtagpaid.com slash DTCpod to get started. Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast Emergency Update Edition. I am back with one of my favorite all-time guests and friends of D2C newsletter, Ryan McKenzie, co-founder and CMO of True Earth, which is one of Canada's fastest growing CPG brands, taken the world by storm, has revolutionized my laundry life. Uh, by by providing some free samples that it just seemed to last indefinitely and do the job of, of regular detergents and have personally not put at least five or six giant bottles of detergent into the landfill. So we're saving the earth one laundry strip at a time. Welcome to the D2C podcast, Ryan. How you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks thanks for uh, inviting me to to show back up and tell bad jokes again. You're always welcome. And I think let's kick things off just by talking a little bit about something that we launched on the D2C side uh, late last week. We, we put on an event in May in Vancouver that Ryan also attended as a, as a fellow West Coaster here in Vancouver, where we brought out 150 brands and, and just the, the excitement of bringing people together was so palpable, we decided to really triple down on it. And we're actually putting on uh, what we call the C-Suite, D2C's C-Suite Mastermind in Victoria, British Columbia, September 21 to 23rd. It's going to be an amazing event with probably, you know, we're aiming for 50 of the top subscribers for D2C newsletter coming out in June joining us at the Victoria International Marina. First thought was like, we got to get Ryan McKenzie to come be what we're calling a mentor at the event. So I'm pretty excited about September. What uh, what kind of things are you thinking of bringing to the table high level, Ryan, would you say? I mean, there's been such a huge transition in the landscape of, of D2C as a whole in the, in the last, between the iOS 14.5 stuff that happened a year ago and, and you know, just the looming recession uh, or whatever you want to call it. But things that you can control, like what people are so worried about their ads, like what are the elements of your business that you can control? And like, what are the elements that you can invest in that continue to pay dividends over the long haul and how, how to, how to look at acquisition and, and growth in, in these more tumultuous times, you know? Totally. Well, can you just, let's talk a little bit about growth and just, you know, True Earth, you've just been on an absolute tear, I feel like, expanding through Canada, like really just dominating all over Canada, really growing into the US. What has growth looked like sort of since the pandemic for True Earth? 
we were already on like a crazy tear before before the pandemic hit and like honestly when when the pandemic hit we were we were like in panic mode because well everybody was in panic mode but we were in panic mode because um we didn't know whether like the mail system was going to get shut down and there was we thought we'd probably be considered um uh what's necessity or required whatever whatever essential that essential services because we help people clean things but we weren't sure so you know we had set up all these plans backup plans where we had like people packaging in their homes and we had a truck that was going around and picking up all that stuff like i think we're actually just finally selling that vehicle now since we no longer need it but so there, there was a period there where we're like okay let's be cautious about how we proceed because we there's so many what ifs but you know the trajectory continued through through that phase uh, obviously people were trying to avoid the grocery store a little bit during that that period um and i think i actually think that you know as much as i would like to say that it helped us i think the onset of all the additional competition because like every business was now purchasing facebook ads and google ads and you know working on their 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 digital presence that i think i think it, it well the whole industry like e-commerce grew by, I think the stat was like 37% in that period. It also massively grew the amount of people competing for those same, same impressions. So I think it probably increased the, our acquisition costs as a result, but. Especially in that CPG space too, where there probably, there weren't as many players, you know, you're ahead of the, as a, as a geeky affiliate performance marketer, you know, you're a bit, you've been a bit ahead of the curve probably with, with all of this stuff. And then seeing your competitors sort of getting a kick in the butt to realize that they're going to have to jump on that train as well. Yeah, I can see how that would flood the market a little bit. But not just like, I mean, obviously there's people knocking off our stuff and whatnot, but not just that. It's just like, you know, there's a brewery down the street from here and they, a lot of their revenue came from having people sitting in the brewery drinking their beers. Uh, and, and during COVID, you can no longer have those people drinking beer. So what did they do? They started advertising, hey, we're now offering delivery or sales or whatever. Yep. And it's just, you know, the more people that are that are competing for those impressions, the, the, the higher the, the costs are, right? Yeah, so t so catch me up on the growth journey. I we we've got the 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 part where you're a little bit worried about the overall thing, but when it comes from like when it comes to like this year, for instance, versus last year, because we saw that huge boost of like e-commerce kind of taking over, and now it's kind of settled back into a bit bit more of a norm, which is still still on a growth trajectory, but not the insane thirty years in in you know, in uh, a year or whatever. So what has what has truest growth been like in twenty twenty two? Yeah, we're still growing, and I mean, we're we're not just a D two C brand. We are omni channel, so we're we're in retail. Um, we're in like, other channels like Amazon. Um, we've got like other aspects of the business, like we do fundraising for schools. So like we have other channels that we're we're focused on growing there as well. But our our particular category is laundry, and still eighty percent of people who do laundry, which well, everybody does laundry, but eighty percent of people who purchase this category, purchase it in store. So it, it's kind of a, it would, be a, it would be foolish for us to not be available in places where people are primarily purchasing their, our products. So we, we've been, we're already in a ton of retail, but we're looking to expand that to, to maximize those channels so that we're, we're not missing out on that as well as, you know, releasing new products. About 10 days ago, we released a, officially released a toilet bowl cleaner, uh, which is a strip you throw in your toilet, you let it dissolve and you scrub and you don't need to have another, you know, another jug under your, under your toilet. And I think that's funny, right before this podcast, I was listening to something that I said, I don't know, like a year ago on some other podcast talking about lifetime value. And like what, I, what I've noticed is that the businesses that are predicated 
on being profitable on the first sale are going to be the businesses that die the fastest death. Because, you know, building a brand or building an e-commerce business should be about building a brand where you get loyal customers and you can create new products to offer them and extend that lifetime value. And your, your job as a marketer or as a performance marketer shouldn't be about how much money can you make on that first sale? It should be about what's the lowest price that you can acquire these customers because you know you have predictable models for how much money you're going to make over you know three months, six months, a year, five years. You know, and it's this shift from that transactional thing to actually like viewing your customers more as like distribution channels. When because when you have that relationship, you have a distribution channel in a way for future products, and it's it's sort of thinking about it rather than just this transaction of this these one time purchases that you try to arbitrage and make money. On, it is like, how do I keep selling to this person over time? Yeah, I think what we're seeing, like as a market as a whole, is what's 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 old is new again. So things like like density. So if you want to be in retail, typically you need to have density, which would be like how many people are, are purchasing your product inside of Vancouver or BC, for instance. And as we get more density and more people know the brand, know the product, there's more likely to have like referrals by like, like social proof. Because, oh, you're using True Earth too, don't you love it? Like it's just, the, or like your people people talking about it at parties and like two, two people at the party know about it and then they start talking about it and then one gets out some strips and gives it to the other people. Like building that density, if you only have one person in a town or in a, you know, in a state that knows about your product or has purchased your product, the ability for that referral system or that like this little network that you just discussed, uh, you don't get that like compounding effect because usually it's like one or they tell one or two people and then it, and then it dies, you know? And so how have you built, so density has just been this Herculean effort across all fronts where you kind of started it with proving the concept out D to C and now you've really poured the gas on the retail side. Like any, any tips for how people should think about getting to, to density? Well, I mean, so I, I think like density is really just a matter of like picking a region and like going, going deep, like, you know, 2015, 2016, Facebook ads, drop shippers were like going like, like broad or interest-based or look like audience and global. And then, you know, you would sell a couple, you're just basically skimming, skimming the cream off the top to make the maximum revenue. And you're not really getting an opportunity to build any significant brand awareness in a region. So, you know, if you have an area that's performing really well, uh, instead of going like all of Canada or all of the United States, like let's say Washington, um, you know, maybe you sell football apparel. There's a football team in Washington. Like, go deep on Washington until you you you've got enough customers that like you could easily go and pitch a football store in Washington. This is all made up shit. But like, hey, you've probably seen my brand all over the place online. This would probably be a great product for your store. And they're like, oh yeah, I've heard it. I've seen it everywhere. I, I totally I totally think we could sell tons of these. But it's difficult to approach a retailer and just be like, I have this product. You should sell it. You know, you're completely going on value proposition, but if they've already seen your product a hundred times or 20 times or 10 times in ads, and then you propose it to them, they're like, well, I've been seeing this everywhere. I'm, I'd, be, I'd be crazy to check all the other boxes. I know they're advertising it. This is a win-win for me. So you would suggest too, like if, if you're building out a retail strategy specifically, then you'd have your broad campaigns where you're targeting nationally or maybe even internationally, but would you be putting, allocating special budget to sort of saturate the regions that you're trying to win at retail in? Yeah, I think, I mean, we, we've done a lot of stuff like that in the past where we, we advertise around the areas where we want people to, to know the brand. But um, yeah, I think like one thing that we've, we've started doing 
um, is allocating kind of like like top of funnel budget that's not specifically CPA driven. So we're not necessarily concerned what it costs us to to get a purchaser from this revenue. It's like supposed to be like incremental lift, especially when you think about it. Like some of the less expensive objectives inside of Facebook or, or Google, uh, they're less expensive because those people don't buy online. It doesn't mean those people don't buy. It just means mm. they don't buy online. So you can use those objectives to build awareness for, for other activities. Like, you know, like um, just like, like when they see the product in the grocery store, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're for sale now in one particular store and you, you want to do really well in that store, do some inexpensive like discovery or video views or, or something within a, a couple kilometer region around that store. And you could even pick, you, if you, if you, if you want to go really hard, you can even say now available in this particular location. And I think Facebook actually has a data feed that you can plug in for, for that as well. But nonetheless, like you're getting exposure and a lot of it where your product's being sold for very little money. If it's if you're in the city, you could even go there and film some UGC of like, here's what it looks like on the shelf. Here's where it is in the store and actually like run that as ad content too. totally. You know, what's funny about that, actually, like my so, I, you know, I'm, I don't my, my personal social media feeds aren't like riddled with with business related stuff. But when I post a picture of myself next to a shelf, a product next to like me having kids and posting that I had a new kid, uh, it's like the most engaged stuff. And I, I was telling my wife this the other day, I'm like, it's kind of crazy because you think that like, kind of, I feel like there'd be like haters or something and it would just kind of, sometimes people are, I don't, I don't know. That's just my personal opinion. Like, We're so Canadian, but our social networks do want us to do well. I'm the same way when I post, you know, good things that you do get a lot of support, right? Yeah. And it's like, I feel like, I feel like it's like, uh, it's imbalanced. Like, I don't feel like it should be that much support. It's fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I love it. But like, it's like, this is really cool to see how much people like to see or get behind what you're doing and, and want to see it do well. And being on the shelf at retail is to a lot of people, that's like a traditional big win. Okay. So, so it's funny. We talked about the things that we can change. And then we went on, on a rant about marketing and, and, uh, and retail, which was just great. But if we, one of the really cool things I think about this mastermind that we're playing in September is that people, you know, are going to be able to come, come to Victoria for three days. They're going to be able to connect with all these people, connect with the mentors and literally walk away with some, you know, a handful of things that will, you know, drastic could drastically help them in Q4 specifically. And then in 2020, you know, 2023 and beyond essentially. So I'm just curious, just as a little preview, let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the things you're focused on as a CMO in order to uh, bring your cost down on the CRO side. Like how, how, what are you doing on the, for instance, on the PDP page these days in order to, uh, to optimize? Yeah. I mean, I think like, I, I mean, you've obviously heard me talk about it, but like, um, Personally, in most cases, unless somebody's already got purchase intent, I prefer to actually send them to a landing page where there isn't a buy box at the very top. Um, the the logic behind this is that when somebody sees a direct response ad, they're they're like, they're, there's basically three states that they can be in: uh, child, adult, or parent. Child's emotional, so when they see the ad, they're like, "Oh, I've got that problem. I need, I I, need, I got that problem. Me, me, me. Yo, I gotta fix this, right?" So they click it. And then your goal as a direct response marketer is to get the person emotionally bought into making this purchase. And what happens is when you send them directly to a PDP with a buy box at the top, you are immediately transitioning them into logic because price is always logic. So like you're going from, oh, that's, I'm so excited about this. I'm so excited about this. And if your price is not like, like super cheap, the first thing they're going to do is like, ooh, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? When your goal should be to 
make that person think more about the problem and think more about what their life will be like when the problems been solved. And then you introduce the price. And that's the, the adult portion, which is like price, kitchen table logic. Um, how do the features of these benefits uh, address issues in my life? Like looking for like mm -hmm. confirmation bias, like, oh, I need that iPad, but do I really need that iPad? Oh, well, you know, I think it would be really good when I go into presentations. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like what are, what are ways that you can convince people that they can rationalize that purchase that's the adult phase and then and put them in their shoes like get in their shoes of what their life will be this is like any anything about self-help or self-development it's all about being able to like crystallize this thought of yourself what you'll be like when you've already done all those things because you you can't you, you you sort of have to time travel a little bit in order to get to that place and and, and the same is true with with customers totally future pace and then the last thing is uh and sorry i'm tangenting here again too but last thing is parent which is like the, the skeptical parent like why is this different than the 827 things that you've tried before? So that includes things like busting objections and like money back guarantees, risk reversals. That's a long-winded way of saying, you know, from a DR perspective, you're better off sending somebody to a page that has the buy box either further down and addresses all that information first. But if somebody's already intent on purchasing or somebody's doing like a Google search with buy laundry detergent or buy True Earth, at that point, they might have, they might already be past the emotional stage. So you have you need to test in different parts of the funnel where's the best place to send them, or you just move the buy box lower down the page and make it easier for them to purchase, which can also help as well. But in terms of like the actual PDP, there, there's a lot of like really simple things that people can do right out the gates. Like obviously making the but the but, the add to cart button big and bright. You can um, do things like test hiding your uh, the rest of your navigation so that you're not letting people leak out to other places on your site and get distracted. Uh, making a sticky add to cart button as you scroll yep. down. There, there's like, you know, like if you, I made, I made a couple of videos about it, but there, there's a lot of different things that you can test there. But the way, the way I like to look at it as like, you're going to have the most bang for your buck on the first page that you send the person to. So address that first and slowly go down the funnel and, and, and make it better and better. And so do you, so you, you go from landing page right to PDP or to cart page? Um, so I go, I typically go, uh, well, again, you have to test. It depends on the source. Yeah. Depends on the source. But like typically if it's like, uh, first touch, I try to send them to a landing page and the landing page, uh, usually goes to the PDP where there's yep. like, you know, your, your quantities and your sense and stuff. Um, and then from there, they, they can kind of choose, choose their own adventure. But we almost never send people to like a collections page. Uh, we've tested it. Um, maybe our collection page just sucks. But, you know, the, we, we do have a shop all page. And we, we, that's another place that a lot of customers do go. Like they go to the header. And then it's one of our top. When they get to the site, that's like probably one of the top like three places that they go. So making sure that that page is designed for to have your, you know, your best performing products at the top. Um, you know, we're, right now we're testing something like super small, like, like, like um, see details versus view details. And, you know, sometimes little tiny things like that make a big difference. Like it, it sounds so insignificant, but when you add all these little tiny things up that add one or 2% to your conversion rate, it, it, it makes a big impact. And it's and it's on entrepreneurs. It behooves. I, I hate saying the word behooves, but it behooves entrepreneurs to do this now. When you you just have to maximize the value of every interaction, you really have to kind of get ruthless on that performance marketing CRO side. Yeah. And if you don't know where to start, man, there's there's agencies out there. There's lots of agencies that are good, uh, and it's definitely emerging more as 
as something that like, like we just signed up an agency like a few weeks ago because I was doing it all. And like, it's stupid that I'm doing it. Like if you're, if you're, if you're the CMO, like it's fantastic that you, you, you know what you're doing and you want to do it and it's fun and exciting, but it, it's just like, we were at a quarterly retreat and I just had like this, why am I doing this? This is such a huge <laughs> leverage point and I can't iterate quick enough. I need somebody that can iterate faster. And so I, I hired a, a good buddy of mine and his firm to do it. I love it. But it, it, I think it's what makes you, well, such a great guest on the DTC podcast, first of all, is that you do have this inclination to kind of tackle things yourself at first. And I think it's it's part of that maturity to, to recognize, uh, you know, when you want to tap out and, and, and be able to scale it with help. But I think it's so valuable that you do have that impulse to kind of figure it out first and then hand it off rather than trying to get an agency to sort of take it over from scratch. Yeah, I, I was the kid in math class that that if I didn't understand how the math worked, then I couldn't do it. Like I couldn't just trust the formula that the teacher said. Like I just, like, you know, unfortunately, yep. maybe fortunately. Um, one of the other things you mentioned that you wanted to chat about at the upcoming C-suite mastermind, and I think it's again, it's it's part of who you are as a, as a marketer, is this idea of diversification and sort of like growth. Like you know, there, well, you say it all the time, but we used to be able to hit the scale button on Facebook ads and and sort of really scale there. But there's quite a bit. Uh, I feel like there's a different, more nuanced understanding of of the way that diversified growth kind of looks like. Uh, and so, what would you say? Like, what what is your diversification? strategy look like high level at true earth yeah well i mean right we're, we're actually kind of like in the middle of changing how we look at it but we're starting to use incrementality as, as a metric so when we look at when we look at like what is people are probably like what the hell is incrementality right so incrementality is like when you look at when you look at all your campaigns which like, we're using a tool called measured um but it basically breaks down campaign by campaign and source by source and tells you which ones that you should probably spend more money on because they're driving more new customers overall. And like the spend to new customer ratio is the most opportune here. And like you get to a point where it's like, oh, you know, scale your Google Google search. Well, you hit a point where, you know, you've optimized that as far as you can you can basically go. And then you're 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 stuck analyzing uh, all the different campaigns that you're currently running. So like, you know, really for us in, in the current ecosystem, it's where are we getting the most incrementality and how far can you push it before that incrementality slows down and or overlaps uh, or overlaps. And then also yeah. like actively testing things like like geolift, like doing geolift experiments, like is what I'm doing actually increasing new customers or are we just like tapping back into people that we've sold to 45 times before that we're going to buy again and and they've seen our ads so like they're in they're in the the uh the attribution cycle and i know i know other brands uh, i'm not gonna i won't drop names but like one brand i know that's that's very large uh cut their ad spend in bc like by a huge percent and moved it out to ontario and their their numbers went through the roof like because like it looks like BC's crushing. Like for us, like, we're so well known here in BC. Like if I spend any dollars in BC, it, it looks like the results are amazing. Mm -hmm. But a lot of those, if I just didn't spend it, those numbers wouldn't be that much different. The incrementality on that spend is is actually small. So that, that again, you're just getting that pixel out everywhere to people that would have bought anyway. Yeah, and, that, and that's part of that whole density thing. Once you hit a certain density, then you know. You, you're able to reduce your spend and move on to another section, build density or another, sorry, region and build that density and, and continue going. So that was a really freaking long-winded roundabout way of answering your question. But to diversify at the end of the day, we're picking 
the channels that are driving the biggest results. And we are also spending to build density on regions where we want to see success outside of D2C. And you're looking at your spend at a granular level in each platform to really make sure that the incrementality within each platform is really all that it's cracked up to be. Totally. And like we use measured, it's not a customer journey, it's not a journey tracking platform, but like they, 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 they dedupe and they have certain percentages that they apply to like each channel to, to eliminate overlap, to try to come up with a source of truth. And it's, it's a pretty cool tool, but it's, it's, it's not uh, inexpensive. Yeah. Um, so the other thing that we're talking about, of course, is this, uh, this idea of thriving in a downturned economy. Uh, I, I'm just curious from your level, like I, I've heard, you know, among all of the products that might be affected by a recession, CPG is one of the m- most impervious categories. People are going to continue to need laundry detergent throughout whatever happens kind of in the world. I, I'm just curious, what, what, what is your take on the, this idea of an upcoming uh, downturn recession? And are you seeing any, any sort of impact of it already? Um, you know, I, I've, I've been like secretly terrified about this for like two or three years. Um, we probably talked about it. I can't remember, but, um, the, so upside for us is that everybody does laundry. It's just par for the course. We, we haven't increased our prices yet. Like a lot of other brands have, um, which, you know, I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's kind of given us the fact that we were a little bit more money originally kind of give us a little bit more w- wiggle room here. Um, but it's, it's, it's really hard to say, honestly, like we kind of have to sit back and, and wait for it to pan out. I think people are going to be less likely to make impulse purchases and try new things when they're in a situation where, where money's tight. Like I've been, I've been broke as hell, uh, like 12 years ago, uh, with a mortgage that I was way bigger than I can afford and trying to recover from a business going down. And I can remember, man, like I was going to a real Canadian superstore, which is like a, a a big store out here and buying like macaroni and cheese, but not craft because I could save 20 cents on a box with the no name brand. And I was like buying like the cheapest ground beef they could have. And I was like rationing it all out. So I know that when push comes to shove, if people are put in a really bad situation, they may have to trim luxury items. And so I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, I'm just hoping that it doesn't become like the eighties, uh, where the interest rates get to 20 plus percent. And yeah, I remember my, my parents in the eighties were part of something called, uh, like a second mortgage club or something that they, they got together with their friends and they pooled some of their extra money and they, they would lend it to people who were looking to refinance their homes and they could do it because the interest rates were 18% or something like that. But but you think about that, but I think our, I think our money wasn't nearly as inflated back then, which is, which is the kind of double whammy we have now where we've got these crazy high interest rates. And then we also have this inflation where prices are kind of going out of control. It's really, it's an interesting time period here. Yeah. <laughs> and I think what's key is not is figuring out how to, like, there will be, you know, there still will be massive opportunity here. People, you know, the e-commerce trend isn't going anywhere. So it's about being able to have, you know, not to have too too much, have a realistic mindset, but probably not too much of a scarcity mindset. Because we all know that what you, what you sort of project is is what you uh, what you experience in a lot of ways. I don't want to get too woo on the woo woo on the DTC podcast, but no, it's dude, it's true. Like I, I I've had like it's it's easy, it's like a negative feedback or it's a positive negative feedback loop, right? Where it's like your thoughts basically contribute to your reality, and like it. it 
it's really easy to get sucked into uh, having a negative outlook and being very binary on whether things are good or bad. And, you know, realistically, things are somewhere in between. And yep. there's usually, there's also opportunities when things aren't good. And there's also, you know, opportunities for, to slide down. But like, you know, even looking at like real estate, if the real estate market goes down 40% and you're like, people are like, oh, I lost 40% of my equity. Well, you didn't really. Because if you, I mean, if you're still in the housing market, you can sell your house and you just go buy another house. You're 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 benefiting when you're making the purchase. So it's like, yep. you know, you just got to look at it with uh, an abundance mindset. <laughs> I like it. Now about abundance mindsets, that's kind of the the spirit of masterminds, right? Is where you go to uh, to this event, you meet with other sort of founders that are in similar boats. A lot of them have maybe solved problems that you're trying to, to face right now. I know in uh, masterminds, aside from this one that you're coming to, uh, are something that you've invested in in the past. Can you talk a little bit about your experience going to different kind of masterminds in this space? Yeah, I've, I've like, you know, I've done, I've been in a bunch. I've done some with Ryan Levesque back in the day. The ask method. The ask method before yeah, yeah. he used to have a, he used to have a group called uh, next level, next level mastermind. It was, dude, it was, it was amazing. Like it was, that one was just like, before he, he, he wound up shutting it down, but he had like, everybody was in there. It was like, it was, it was unbelievable. Like I met so many good people there, but I never actually went, I only went to one of those in person. But the one that I'm in now, and I've been in probably about five years, is Ezra Firestone's Blue Ribbon, and God, those those events are are my, like my absolute favorite. Like just hanging out with, like you said, other people who have faced similar challenges to you, who also don't have a tremendous amount of in life people, in real life people that you can kind of like, you know, shoot the shit about, like shoot the shit about your problems like talk about the things that that you're facing that they're facing too but not a lot of other people where you live are probably facing and it really has like this the best way to describe it is like feeling like you're home like you're hanging out with your people even if you don't know them right away like people if you're if you're nervous to network like once you start talking with people that come to these things they're there to hang out and make friends and to share they're not there to, to judge you or or whatever they're there to like and it's just like it's the best man like like molly Pittman myself, some of the guys from Live Bearded, like we'll be like up sitting or like uh, uh, sitting there to like four in the morning, just like talking about marketing stuff and then talking about problems that our types of people have that, you know, it's difficult to find people to relate to in, in everyday life. And it's like, I never want to go to sleep. I just want to stay up all night just talking. And I, uh, it's the best. That's so cool. That that really resonates. It's been a while for me. You know, as you know, I came from an event space before I was with a company called iStack and I was doing these events around the world. We ended up doing a mastermind in Phuket. Uh, and it really was those late night conversations with with people. People's guards are down. They're just sort of like everyone's there to help each other. You describing it as home is a really great feeling because just being around a bunch of other people that are just sort of predetermined to, to kind of run in the same direction you are. It just does make for fast friendships and it's made for some incredible like lifetime friendships as well and business partnerships that have come out of it. And like even like, like just like little things too, like everybody's got something that they're good at and a lot of people don't feel like they have like value to add, but they do like, you know, like you're doing this, you have a, an angle or not you, but you know, everybody's got like this angle or this thing that they're doing that's worked well for them. And you, you never know who might be able to benefit from what you've figured out and it's just i don't know it's such it's you, you come away with a bunch of ideas you come away you get away from your business so you're not stuck in the weeds you're not worrying about like not in that like 
backed into a corner scarcity mindset where you're like, oh, I need to fix this part of my business or this is a problem or this is on fire over here. You're disconnecting, you're getting to 30,000 feet and you're, you're getting aha moments for things that you can apply to your business but that you can only get when you get away from the nitty gritty of the everyday. And yeah. those ideas don't necessarily pop into your head when you're, when you're driving with your wife to go on vacation. They, they pop up when you're surrounded by other people who are doing the same thing. And it's, it's, it's such a, I don't, I, I, I sound like I'm like, just like captain mastermind over here, but it's, if you, if you've never been to one, it's, it's such a great experience. Captain Mastermind is going to be here in Victoria. I'm just very excited to bring people to Victoria as well. It's such a special place where we have, uh, you know, it's the Victoria International Marina. It's this world class. I have to say this on the podcast, the event that this, the place that we're having our event in the, the previous event that was there just a couple weeks ago was literally, they were hosting a conference for super yacht owners, not yacht owners, like mega yacht owners. These, they basically hosted a conference for mega yacht owners. The theme of the conference was how do we get people to stop hating mega yacht owners? Uh, so, you know, it's a high class place when you're, when you're previously occupied by mega yacht owners. So it's, it's going to be a great time. And that's, and it is like, I'm excited for the learning. I'm excited for what you, you know, you're going to be sharing there as a mentor, but so much of it is just, it's about the other guests as well. And, and the RSVPs we've had already from some crazy big brands that are going to be coming from all over North America and in Europe as well to kind of come over to this thing just you know all based on uh, this community we've created with D2C it's going to be so cool to bring back you know bring together uh, a bunch of brand owners and and make some magic uh, if you want to go to this event you can go to directtoconsumer.co slash c-suite-mastermind uh, just go to directtoconsumer.co and click on c-suite and uh, you can secure your ticket. There's only 50 tickets. Uh, we've already sold uh, more than a few. So if you want to come, you should uh, book it up. Uh, go to directtoconsumer.co right now and lock it in and, and make your travel arrangements. And uh, yeah, it's going to be magical. Thanks for uh, coming on today, Ryan. Oh, thanks for having me, man. I, I, it's always, always a pleasure. It's like the third time or the fourth time. It's you, you're like you're like my Ed McMahon. <laughs> going to be on there. I love it. I, I think it's great. And it's like, we've only met in person a handful of times, but again, it's that same sort of, we, we sort of, I think we can tell we're similarly weird and, and similarly driven. So it's been, uh, it's been a great friendship so far. Yeah. That's, that's awesome, man. I appreciate you. Nice. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at direct to consumer, all one word, dot co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.